0: Welcome to Under the Bleachers. This is a podcast that explores all things sports, all things queer, and the fabulous intersection where queer and sports meet. This podcast is
1: brought to you by Team DC, the nonprofit association of LGBTQ plus sports and recreation organizations in the Washington DC area. I'm Laura. I'm on the board of Team DC. I've played and loved sports my entire life, and I've played with the DC Fury's and Rogue Darts.
0: And I'm Gabe. I'm also on the board of Team DC, and I'm a diehard sports fan. I play with many of the Team D.C. sports member leagues, including the D.C. GFFL, Stonewall Kickball, Rogue Darts, Kara Bowling, and recently the Washington Scandals Rugby Football Club. And I also do a little drag on the side. We hope you enjoy this week's trip Under the Bleachers.
1: Welcome everyone, Laura and Gabe here. Happy Labor Day. It's September 7th and you're listening to episode 12 of Under the Bleachers. On this podcast, we take turns, and this week, it's Gabe's turn to choose our topics. For our discussion of all things queer, he chose the community's Twitter attack on Jeffrey Bauer Chapman. For our conversation on all things sports, we're talking NBA arena polling stations. And for the intersection of sports and queer, we'll discuss the Trevor Project's second annual mental health survey. After that, we're going to share our interview with area athlete Neil Williams, So here we go.
0: Before we get into our topics, we always like to give an update on Team DC. As a reminder, Team DC's Challenge Cup is coming back. This year's event will be October 17th. and will be a virtual event on Zoom. Registration opens September 21st, and teams will have chances to start earning points for the event as soon as registration opens. So you're definitely going to want to register early. Get your five-person team lined up now. The winner of this year's Challenge Cup will get their name on a trophy, bragging rights for the year, and a two-hour private party at Pitcher's with complimentary food and beverages for up to 30 people. It's going to be a lot of fun, so don't miss out. Stay tuned to Under the Bleachers for updates on other Team DC events and goings as they become available.
1: Gabe and I will be bringing you new episodes of Under the Bleachers every Monday at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on all of your favorite podcast platforms, including Google, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Taking the extra few seconds to hit those buttons or type a quick review means a lot to help us get the word out, so please do it. And share us with a friend or two if you know people that would be interested in listening in. With that, here's Gabe with our first topic in this week's trip under the
0: bleachers. Okay, my topic in the world of all things queer this week is fans acting up on Twitter. A few episodes ago, we discussed Canada's Drag Race, which was awesome, and they just aired their finale last Thursday. Side note, I will not be revealing any spoilers on who won. All right, so Drag Race judge Jeffrey Bauer Chapman, Michelle Visage, and RuPaul Charles herself have recently scrubbed or deleted their Twitters and Instagram accounts due to the backlash and bullying from fans. Bauer-Chapman received many hateful comments about how he critiqued contestants and has been accused of not being authentic. The same thing happened to Ms. Michelle Visage about her critiques, and there's been also been some rumors about different uh, hateful messages that were also sent to RuPaul. Lemon, a contestant on Canada's Drag Race, as well as UK's Drag Race contestant Crystal, were quick to defend Bauer-Chapman. Drag Race contestants have complained for years about mean tweets and hurtful messages that are sent by their superfans. Recently, Alona Verley has also criticized fans and publicly states she almost took her own life after what fans were saying to her after episode four. Kevin Michaels, another Drag Race all-star, has also taken a mental health break because of the toxicity of the Drag Race community fandom. In the end, I hope fans can realize we're all human and that no one is perfect. Can we take a page from the First Lady and be best? <laughs> okay, first of all... <laughs> that was a joke.
1: References to Lady Trump are not allowed on this podcast. (laughs)
0: Sorry. (laughs) How dare
1: you? Uh, best. Yeah, okay. That said, um, you know, stuff like this, it really bugs me, but like, honestly, if you are gonna be on a reality show, you have to be prepared for this shit. I mean, people are just toxic online. And you know, so many people it's like they can't it's like they have no conscience right like it's it's like when they're typing shit online it's as if it's not real like they don't stop they say they will say things online that they would never in a million years say to someone
0: to you up front oh yeah it's like that special filter you're protected because you're behind a computer and they say that but like it's still happening and you know you can say some really hurtful things and you may think it's, low oh, nothing, you know, they can't see me or whatever, but it, it could actually impact someone.
1: Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. I mean, anybody who's had shit said about them online, like it sounds, it's the same as having somebody say it to your face, you know, it, it, it hurts just as much. So, but it's like, it's the same thing that I hate about Halloween because people dress up for Halloween and all of a sudden it's like a license to behave like an animal right? Like, if it <laughs> happens when I'm wearing a costume, did I really do it? You know, it's the same kind of thing, and it ruins everything. Like, this is people's freaking worst instincts. It's like, it—it it it's, is ruining um, Twitter for everyone. But, you know, I have to say, I, I don't necessarily love the hosts, or I'm sorry, the I guess they're the judges on RuPaul's Drag Race. I just, I don't always you know, agree with them. I also don't necessarily like their sort of personalities in terms of like one person being the, you know, most critical all the time. And one person trying to be a little bit more of the supporter and all that. I I think it's garbage, but you know, they're doing their job and people need to chill out.
0: Yeah, I think it's like, it goes back to like the days of American Idol. And how there's always the three judges. There's like the Simon judge who's the mean one. There's like the nice one. And the one that's like always supporting and defending them. And it, it, I mean, people have to realize it's a reality TV show. The show gets edited, you know, to make story arcs when they're not there. Producers are probably out puppeteering, you know, fights and problems and things that are going on to make the show more interesting. Because even uh, Lemon, who who competed with Canada's Drag Race, said... It would be a really boring show if all they said was, you know, to all the contestants, "Oh, you look great! Oh, you look great! Oh, you look great!" So, of course, you need some critiques. Of course, you need some sort of negative comments. But people just need to chill out, be a little bit more respectful, and also really think about what they're posting.
1: That's the thing. Like, it is supposed to be a competition, right? So, like, if nobody ever gets a negative critique, then how does somebody win? And they also get better. Yeah, well, that's the thing. If the judges, you know, I believe that to some extent they truly have a goal of helping these people, you know, become better drag queens and you do that through criticism and, you know, reinforcement and constructive criticism. And I I don't know, I don't think these judges are ever that mean, honestly. Yeah, no, also this this whole bullshit about calling somebody inauthentic when you don't even know the fucking person. Like, what That's do you? That's
0: the know? thing. It's like, well, how do you? What do you know about them?
1: Yeah, what do you know about what Jeffrey Bauer Chapman's personality is off camera? You never met him. Shut the fuck. You know, I don't know people. <laughs> people online suck. I also think you know if you're gonna be a judge on a reality show, you better have a freaking you know backbone and be prepared for this shit. So. You know, and I'm not saying that Jeffrey Bauer Chapman wasn't prepared for it. And I'm not saying that scrubbing his Instagram or Twitter is a bad reaction. I mean, if people are going to keep posting shit, don't give them access to your platform so that they can't do it. Like, you have every right to, you know, do that. But I would like to hear him sort of just speak out and tell people to go fuck themselves, frankly.
0: Yeah, there's a a lot of queens that say they're getting off – all sorts of social media that the fans, they love their fans, but then there's also those like really toxic people in the community that are just ruining it for everybody. Why are we attacking ourselves or why are we attacking our own family? Which sucks.
1: Yeah. And you know, it kills me. It's like when it's somebody who's like a super fan of one queen who thinks it's like their duty to take down every other queen. And like, I promise you the queen that you're a fan of does not want you doing that. Like, what the fuck are you doing? You know? And it's, like, people forget that, like, one of the most important parts or the beauties of RuPaul's Drag Race is, like, drag queens are getting huge attention in mainstream popular culture. Like, that is a huge fucking deal. And here we are out here, people, fans who are, like, fans of the show, fans of these people, and members of the LGBTQ community, and we're, we're ruining it. You know, like you should be sitting back and celebrating the fact that this gay, queer as hell show is getting all this mainstream attention and being such a huge platform for these ladies. And instead, what do you do? You ruin it for everybody.
0: Yeah, I hope there's no like double standard because I know we talk about, oh, Trump tweets all these stupid things and these other people tweet all this like mean stuff. And it's like people are still doing the same thing.
1: Yep. Yeah. You all suck stop it
0: (laughs) stop doing it be nice
1: yeah if you don't have to agree with everything but i mean if you have an instinct to tweet something at somebody you don't know stop for five seconds take a breath or two and then think like how would i feel if somebody said this shit to me
0: some random stranger yeah death threats are not cool
1: (laughs) yeah well you know using especially using language that is you know slurs homophobic racist don't against anybody like a famous person is still just a person they don't deserve to have that kind of language used like towards them the way that anybody else you know does so you don't get a special pass it's not like um there's some sort of filter for famous people that they don't get impacted the same way as everybody else by hurtful language so knock it off <laughs> anyway um yeah i mean hooray for canada's drag race i think we can all agree that the first season was a success and we hope for more i don't know how many awesome drag queens there are in canada but start getting your audition videos in so that we can have more
0: we know holland is starting up soon
1: holland okay you know why not drag queens are everywhere so let's uh, (laughs) let's find the best of them all um i also did i hear that they're gonna have some kind of like an international like competition with that was a
0: rumor i don't know if that's true but Uh, i hope that's true
1: that'll be great right
0: eurovision drag queens So if there's your, yeah, but I'm thinking if there's a Colombian drag queen, she's going to win because the Colombians always win Miss Universe.
1: (laughs) Maybe, I don't know, but all right. Well, hooray for Drag Race. Boo for all you assholes who don't know how to behave on Twitter. Go back to kindergarten rules and learn how to treat people so that we can still have nice things. Don't ruin it for everyone else. That's all I got to say about that. And Gabe,
0: why don't you tell me what's going on in the world of sports this week? (laughs) (laughs) all right now for my sports topic it's been a busy week with many playoffs the kentucky derby and the u.s open in full swing in this strange sports season but the sports world was shooketh when the nba the nbpa announced on friday that the nba playoffs will resume after a two-day boycott players agreed to resume play and also the inclusion of several new social justice initiatives the largest is the move to use all NBA arenas as polling places for the November election. 15 teams have agreed so far. But the Miami Heat recently announced that their bid to make the American Airlines Arena a polling place was denied by Miami Dade County officials, who stated the arena had accessibility issues. Locally, the Wizards announced that the Capital One Arena will become a polling place, but still haven't announced all the details yet. We're all hurt. We're all tired of just seeing the same thing over and over again, and everybody just expects us to be okay, just because we get paid money, said Oklahoma City Thunder Point guard Chris Paul, who is the Players Union president. For me, this is another great example of how sports stars can use their platform for the greater good. All right, so Laura, what do you think about this idea of the NBA now going through social justice initiatives and this big plan to make arenas as uh, voting centers uh, or voting, voting stations this election?
1: So I think, um, I'm sure it's no surprise to you or anybody that might have listened to any of our episodes. Like, I think it's great when athletes decide to use their platforms to address social justice issues. I think that's awesome. This idea of using arenas as polling places feels a little weird to me. I mean, in the time of COVID, like, it feels like we don't want huge crowds of people having to go to the same place to vote. <laughs> um, but I get it. Right. Like the nice thing about stadiums arenas is that like, typically they're pretty easy to get to like, because when people, when you build an arena, you want them to be easy to get to, right. Cause you want people to go there and pay money to see the game. So in theory, they should be, um, Really good options to be a polling place because you shouldn't have super long lines they're so damn big you should be able to have you know one freaking uh, check in point for every single voter right like so in theory the there shouldn't be long lines um, and it should be easy for people to get to and so I think that that's great i just i'm not sure how that works in the time of a pandemic when we're not yeah. using arenas because we're trying to avoid large crowds
0: um, if they're going to use them because you could spread them out or you can spread out people you know either on the court or in the different levels of an arena and stuff like that that way we can get a whole bunch of people voting at once but they're accurately properly socially distanced
1: yeah i mean that's the thing is i guess you just have to figure out how to use these arenas wisely in a way that helps make it so that lines are not super long but people are still spread out and i'm sure it can be done and i think that's great i think that's a really good thing this the miami position is so confusing what does it mean that the arena has accessibility issues if they yeah that
0: was a it was an interesting uh move by the county officials
1: yeah like i mean if the arena has accessibility issues then that seems like a problem that needs to be addressed separately and apart from this issue but also like who cares? They're not suggesting you close down other polling stations, right? I mean, it's an additional place. It's not. So having an extra place, even if it's hard to get to, like, how does, how is that a problem as long as you don't close down any of the other polling stations? Like, that is clearly bullshit, right? I, I, you know, this is clearly people in Miami-Dade County trying to um, stop them from making it easier for people to vote. I mean, that seems so transparent, but that's the thing with, like, Republicans these days. Republicans and their voter suppression efforts this year are so brazen, right? Like, they're not even trying to disguise them or pretend that that's not what it's about. They're just saying all the quiet parts out loud. It's freaking crazy, um, and it should terrify
0: everybody. I'm wondering, too, if it's a whole thing about the whole poll worker shortage um, that's going on nationally. That's why we're yeah. trying to encourage young people, especially if they can, to sign up to be a poll worker, because it's awesome. Save democracy, save the old yeah. people so they don't have to go out there and volunteer for you. You also get yeah. paid.
1: No, I mean, I, it can be hard, right? Because, like, like, a lot of times the reason why there are so many older people doing being poll workers is because they're retired and they can have the whole day off you know, and that can be hard for people and you can't necessarily expect young people to take a day off. But if it's something that you're able to do, it's hugely important. And I mean, that's another thing about, but that's another thing about these plans about polling stations is I imagine it's great, this idea of having this huge arena, you can spread people out, you can have more stations so that the lines are shorter. But of course, that means you need exponentially more poll workers right? So, I, you know, I think this is going to be a tough, I think it's a great idea that they came up with. I think it's going to be the devils in the details. It's going to be a little, it's going to be tough to pull it off in a way that's effective, but I have two months and I have no doubt that if they put their mind to it, they can figure, figure out a way to make this a really great um, option for people for voting.
0: Yeah, and I'm really interested to see the other programs that the Players Association and the NBA were able to come together with and come out with, um, yeah. Which is, I think it's awesome that both sides are now talking and making yeah, no, sure that you know their voices are heard.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. It's it's amazing the progress that was made so quickly in the scheme of things. You know, when you think about um, when you think about how difficult it is sometimes to get movement on these issues. This has been relatively quick um, adjustment for the NBA and you know, you have a lot of people who have huge platforms, people, you know, they have a lot of followers on social media, they have thousands of fans that watch them every day, um, and every time they're interviewed, they have lots of people tuning in to hear what they have to say, and to know that they're going to be focusing significant efforts on social justice initiatives is amazing, and I'm really excited to see um how things progress in that
0: front yeah because like i know a lot of the different players have their own foundations and their own associations and stuff like that that they help in their own communities but just to see everyone come kind of come together in the league like i just remember i think is it lebron james that has his own elementary school
1: yeah i think yes that sounds like i promise it. school yeah
0: yeah so it, it it's nice to see everyone working together and kind of unified uh and you, yeah, again, using their platform, using their yeah. you know sports status,
1: yeah we saw what happened sorry. when
0: they when they stopped playing games, and everyone freaked out
1: right, exactly, and a lot of times, like these players have these foundations or these various initiatives that they affiliate themselves with, but they like do it in the off season, and you know you don't necessarily hear about it all the time. But if they're gonna make a focus and, and an effort in you know making sure that these initiatives get get attention every time they're being interviewed or you know during the season when people are paying the most attention, like that's gonna um, I think exponentially help you know get more support behind their initiatives and all their already existing work. Plus, I assume that a lot of players will be adding new work. So I, it's all good. It's all positive. I'm very excited to see it.
0: Me too. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully, we get yeah, people up sure. to the polls in November. Whatever it takes,
1: we have to <laughs> get people voting. So if, you know, hey, everybody listening, go to iwillvote.com. Make sure you're registered. Um, Request your mail-in ballot if you need to. Figure out where the drop-off spots are. Figure out where your polling place is. Figure out when early voting starts in your state. Make a plan. Vote early. Get your vote counted.
0: And if you get a phone call or a text from Laura and I about your vote, just be nice.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, even if it's not from Gabe or I, be nice to these people. Like, <laughs> Be nice to these poor volunteers that are text banking and phone banking. Because, guys, it's not easy all the time. <laughs> uh, all right. So, Gabe, what's your uh, next topic for the week?
0: All right. For this week's topic at the intersection of sports and queer, we're going to discuss the Trevor Project's mental health survey results. For the second year in a row, the Trevor Project – a nonprofit organization that focuses on suicide prevention of LGBTq plus youths surveyed seventeen thousand four hundred seventy six students enrolled in middle school and high schools across the country. The survey built on previous research by the Trevor Project and captured the experiences of over 40,000 LGBTQ plus individuals ages 13 to 24. The survey built on previous research by the Trevor Project and captured the experiences of over 40,000 LGBTQ plus individuals ages 13 through 24. One of the most important findings was the positive impact of sports on the lives of students. Sports participation has been linked to better grades, higher self-esteem, and lower depressive symptoms. One in three LGBTQ plus students who played sports earned mostly A's compared to one in four who don't. That's about 36%. Depressive symptoms were 18% lower in student athletes, and trans athletes have found acceptance with their peers on and off the field, and students were more likely to use respective pronouns. Middle school and high school can still be difficult times for LGBTQ plus youth, but it's great to see sports making a positive impact in students' lives." Okay, Laura, were you able to see some of the results and were you kind of uh, impressed or intrigued by some of the results that came out?
1: Yeah, um, you know, I, I, I'm, again, this is one of those things I'm not particularly surprised, like intuitively, I would expect that sports participation would have all of these positive impacts, but it's great to see the Trevor Project um, focusing on sports as an important component that needs to be studied and to find to get some actual data to help, um, you know, support those assumptions. Uh, it also, you know, it doesn't surprise me. Sports can be a huge um part of a student's career, right? I mean, when you're in school, everybody's in class and that's obviously academics is obviously the first thing that you think about in school, but then it's, you know, what activities people do, whether it's sports or the kids that are into drama um, and, or like music, if you're into band or chorus or something like that. But like the things that the students choose to do in their free time um, are, probably, you know, the things that are going to have the most kind of direct impact on their happiness in so many ways, because, you know, it's like where they choose to put their time. And, and, you know, as somebody who played sports every season, you know, throughout school, I know like a lot of my best friends were my teammates, you know, that's where you build relationships with people who have, you have things in common with and, um, you know, you bond over common goals that you have for the teams. Yeah, I mean, sports participation is so important, and it's critically important that we continue to support extracurricular programs in schools because it's important to all students. And it's critically important to LGBTQ youth who have a much higher rate of suicide ideation than their peers, than their non LGBTQ peers um that we focus on anything that positively affirms those students
0: yeah no I definitely agree and I kind of see like the positive aspects of it especially you know coming from Texas uh when we you know I was in sports but I was also like in a lot of like I was a band and some other stuff and we have a pass no pass no play rule so it kind of forced you to focus on your academics focus on you know, what you're learning in class, that way you can be able to take part in these competitions and stuff like that. And I think, yeah, sports and extracurriculars are a very important part in formation process of people, especially younger uh, individuals. And yeah, I mean, you can find more acceptance in your smaller, you know, in your sports teams, and your other, you know, groups, because you're with these people longer than you are, even with your parents throughout the day. Sometimes, you know, you see them every day. You're always in practice. I guess you you get a better chance of, you know, accepting people for who they are and who they really are. And you kind of, yeah, you grow this different bond where you can actually, you know, open up to people. Maybe you can open up to a friend or uh, someone who's on your team as opposed to your parents who you're like scared of coming out to.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, you know, yes, I can't say enough about how important it is to support all these extracurricular activities because this is where, I mean, kids go to school and they have to learn and that's important, obviously, but that's what all, you know, they have to do. They don't have any choice, right? They go, they go to their classes that they're assigned to or, you know, that they're required to take, whatever it is. And then they decide what to do with the rest of their time. And, you know, whatever those activities are, you can bet that, you know, most of those kids like they're going to form their most meaningful relationships that are going to have the most impact on their development, social development. And so we need those programs to exist and we need to give the give kids the space to build relationships in them. And you know, we've talked, you and I gave to like a couple of, you know, really successful athletes and we always ask them like, you know, what did you get out of playing sports that made you a better all-around person? And everybody you know, says, it's basically everything. You know, I learned all my most important qualities came from sports. Yeah, I, Conflict resolution, you know,
0: know, dealing with difficult people.
1: Teamwork.
0: Fighting for the same goal. I mean, I'm also teamwork. I'm also really inspired by a lot of the um, Team DC scholarship athletes um, and their stories. And we got to hear their stories over Pride Week and stuff like that. And hearing how sports was able to help them with their careers. Now, you know, they're all going to college. They're all very excited, but you know, the uh, sports was a big deal in their lives.
1: Yeah. I mean, and it's not just your teammates, you know, I think that um, sports at a high school tends to be, you know, especially for sports teams who are more successful, it tends to be a way to get the entire student body to sort of rally around and, follow a sports team and their success and they, you know, appreciate the kids who play the sport as somebody who is bringing sort of this glory to their school or whatever it is, you know? So it also helps with the relationships with the students that aren't, you know, just your teammates. And we need to pay attention to the epidemic that is suicide among LGBTQ youth it's staggering um, how much more likely an LGBTQ plus student youth is to um, have suicidal thoughts or to actually die by suicide than than their peers. And, you know, I think a lot of times, and we've talked about this before, we tend to start thinking about the progress that has been made for people coming out and everything else and that in a lot of ways it is a lot easier for LGBTQ youth today than it was, you know, 20, even 10 years ago, but that does not mean that the problems have all magically been solved. There's still, um, you know, higher instances of suicide, higher instances of depression. higher instances of housing insecurity and just all kinds of issues with LGBTQ youth. And, and this is something that, you know, we as a society, we need to take a hard look at why these things are and what we can do to change them.
0: I'm glad. I mean, I've seen some really good positive stories coming from, uh, you know, LGBTQ athletes in high school. Like I'm reminded of one where uh, there was this basketball student and it was, I forgot what high school it was from, but he was running around, you know, they were playing a game running around. So he was playing a game and the rival high school was like posting these horrible signs that, you know, like stick to grinder. You can't play cause you're gay, yada, 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 that type of thing. But the school actually rallied around this kid and was like, uh, they're stupid. Like you're one of the best basketball players in the, re- in the area in the region. Screw those guys. I mean, it was, it was nice to see that like, the whole school coming around and supporting this one player.
1: Yeah. Well, what I want to know is where were the parents, teachers, administrators of those kids with those signs? Why, why was, why were those signs there in the first place and Did they what, let them in? Yeah, well, but not, but even that, once they start holding them up or whatever, they should have immediately been removed. But more importantly, when once, this, once people became aware of this story, I sure as hell hope that something happened in terms of whether it was at school or at home, that some adult in those kids' lives sat them down and had a long talk with them about what the fuck is wrong with them. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, it's great to see the community rally around the victim, but...
0: But we need to address the problem.
1: Right. I mean, you need to be changing the behaviors because this one kid got rallied around and he's probably fine. But what about all the other gay kids who saw those signs, but nobody knew that they were being harmed by them. And so they didn't get anybody rallying around them. Yeah. You know that, I mean, that's the thing. It's not when homophobic slurs are being thrown at athletes. It's not just the athlete that is being harmed by them. It's every gay kid that was watching that game and is now more afraid to come out because he's thinking to himself well what about me i'm not a basketball star nobody's going to rally around me but they still think that about me you know those are the kids that are probably being harmed even more and the only and we need to address that by addressing the problem not by not only by supporting the victim
0: no yeah i totally agree all right
1: Um, Was there anything else in the Trevor Project survey that you thought was particularly interesting that you wanted to bring up?
0: Uh, Well, obviously, uh, 86% of LGBTQ youth said the recent politics has negatively impacted their well-being. And I know uh, some of the articles that were uh, talking about this survey were bringing up stuff that we've talked about before, you know, the the trans ban of athletes in Idaho and some other uh, type of Title Nine uh, problems that are going on around the country. And it's, it's, it's interesting that, um, yeah, now we have the data that we can show people that what they're trying to do is going to negatively impact these students' lives.
1: Yeah, no, I hear you. The Trevor project does great work. Um, check them out, support them. The world these days is very toxic, right? Everybody's got an opinion on everything. And people need to start thinking really hard about the shit that they say and how it impacts whoever hears it. And think about, like, is it even necessary for me to, you know, to to say this at all? Um, and think about who it's being directed at and, and think about what you know. I mean, I've been really frustrated with people posting this particular meme that I've seen going around a lot recently, which is this Donald Trump has done more for LGBTQ people than any president ever. And the number of just ridiculous straight cis people posting this, who I know well enough to know that they have no freaking idea what they're talking about. Has just been so incredibly frustrating to me so you know I'd like to give everybody a piece of advice which is before you start posting anything about how Donald Trump or anyone else is pro or anti some um group of underrepresented people and if you're not a part of that group then maybe think twice about whether you should be posting it at all (laughs) and if you do You better be prepared then when somebody from that marginalized group comes and challenges your post or your opinion on this, you better be prepared to do the hard work of looking inward and examining your own perhaps latent biases that you don't realize you have. Because when somebody from the marginalized community comes and tells you all the reasons why that's wrong, you better be ready to listen and you better be ready to credit their opinion over yours. I mean, they're the ones living this experience, not you. And I don't know what we're all, what everybody's out here doing, thinking that they know know better about marginalized people's lives than those people themselves. It's wild to me. And I think, you know, I'd like to see some people do some real fucking inner searching about what is wrong with them that makes them think that they have to know more or that they should be the one to tell some marginalized person how to feel about something relating to a community that they're not a member of
0: yeah that's the thing you, you really don't know what that person's going through if you haven't experienced it but what gives you the right to think that you do that's wild. If it's because you read something or you know whatever that doesn't mean that doesn't make it okay for you to post these things or have your your opinion and why you think you're you're right and you know you they should listen to you and not what they've gone through because yeah, you no you don't it's know. insane
1: and it's like this thing and Donald Trump is very good at doing this insidious thing where he finds one black person to say all these things and then all these. uninformed white people see this, and they're racist inside, they don't want to acknowledge it, but they see it coming from the mouth of a black person, so they suddenly feel compelled and justified to share this as if this is evidence that this one black person is correct, and the millions of other black people who are telling them that is not real, that is not an accurate depiction of this reality or these are the experiences that most black people are feeling, and these Feels like justified in telling all these black people that they're wrong because they heard one black person say different, and it's insane. And it's the same th- same thing with LGBT people, right? The log cabin Republicans come out and say three things that they say are great about Donald Trump, and now all of a sudden these straight cis people who you know just like to tell all of the uh, all of the entire lgbtq community who thinks that donald trump is dangerous and bad for our community that we're wrong because three log cabin republicans told them it's okay to vote for donald trump it's ridiculous and i'm so tired of it and i don't see how our society is going to continue to function successfully if people can't stop if, if people don't stop and like analyze their own biases and figure out why they have these opinions about marginalized groups.
0: Well, yeah. We got And we got to be careful what we read on Facebook, what we see on YouTube, what we Google search, you know, not everything, of course, like they always say, not everything that's on the internet is true. <laughs> so come on guys, use a little common sense, do some research, actually talk to these people, get to know what's going on in their lives and their communities and just be respectful, be nice with everyone. And just, Put your, actually do some active listening and put your biases aside and just try to put yourself into other people's shoes. It's not yeah. that hard. I mean, it's a lot of work to do that. But just, you know, and, and really listen to someone, not just listen to the first five, ten seconds of it and then actually, like, make up your opinion already. Actually listen to people
1: yeah, and to and what they're trying to say. And be skeptical. Yeah. If one person from a marginalized group is stating something that doesn't line up with the vast majority of people from that marginalized group, like, are you accepting that one person's word because it's more likely that they're correct and accurate than the millions of people on the other side? Or are you accepting that one person's word because it's incredibly convenient that they happen to agree with you? Yeah. You know, you need to really analyze that and think about that. And like another context, if you had... 50 people on one side saying one thing and one person on the other side saying the exact opposite, What, which one would you tend to, you know, credit? You know, and I'm not saying always like that mob rules, but that should be something that you really sincerely think about when you're analyzing what is more likely to be true. So
0: anyway. Yeah, and it, and it goes on both sides of the aisle. Democrats do it too sometimes, but not as much. But it, it, it just, we just gotta be very careful with what we take as gospel truth. Yeah, that's absolutely true.
1: Yeah, it's not solely a uh, Republican problem. I I think it's more a Republican problem, mostly because most marginalized communities, frankly, are not being supported by Republicans. So it tends to be a problem um, in that direction. But Democrats
0: have their own issues
1: as well. So anything you hear, you know, don't accept anything you hear just because you hear it.
0: It's silly season. We've got less than 60 days until this election, so...
1: It's, gonna, see be how a crazy rough, it's gonna be a rough 60 days. Like everybody, be prepared to <laughs> be prepared to analyze some bullshit. Be prepared to talk to everyone you know about what's real and why they need to get out and vote. This is going to be such a monumentally hugely important election, and we're in the home stretch. And in a couple months, this is all going to be over. But we're going to live with the consequences of it.
0: Oh. Forever. For real,
1: it's terrifying. So get, get scared. Maybe don't be as don't be as filled with existential dread as I am because it's hard. But, but don't <laughs> take this seriously. Don't sleep on this election. All right. Um, on that note, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for a, another good chat, Gabe. I appreciate it. I always enjoy, uh, you know, catching up on the the, the weeks events with
0: you. I totally agree. And I also ah, also like when we get in our little soapboxes and try to get, you know, save our democracy a little bit, but save our
1: democracy, save our world. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's this week's under the bleachers roundup of all things, queer things, sports and things at the intersection of sports and queer. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will share our interview with area athlete,
0: Neil Williams. And welcome back to under the bleachers today we're chatting with local swimming star neil williams neil began swimming in 1978 at his local community pool in chesterfield virginia and was a national junior qualifier in 1986. neil received a swimming scholarship from american university and was a four-time conference champion six-time relay champion and senior male athlete of the year neil has been swimming competitively as a master swimmer since 1991 and set his first master's world record in 1994 in 15 meter butterfly Individually in his master's career, Neil, Neil has also set four national records in 50 meter breaststroke, 100-meter butterfly, 50 meter butterfly, and 100-meter individual medley. Neil has one master's world relay record and multiple national relay records. Neil has attended 19 international gay and lesbian aquatic championships and seven gay games. Out of the pool, Neil is a psychiatrist and has served on the DC Aquatics Club board for 15 years. Hey, Neil, how's it going? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for uh, joining us on Under the Bleachers.
1: Yeah, thank you. So from that introduction, Neil, I take it you really suck at swimming?
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, I've uh, found my niche, that was my sport.
1: Very humble too, all right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So how did you first get interested in swimming?
2: Well, The pool in our local community was built um, the year prior, and my parents just said, hey, why don't we join the pool for the summer? And I just grew to love it. I'd always been someone who liked being in the water, but there was no opportunities for me to do competitive swimming, but they started a swim team, and I said, well, let me just try that out. And it took me a year or two to to, um, learn all the strokes. But afterwards, it was no turning back. I was just fell in love with it.
1: Awesome. It's always, it's always cool when you find your passion young, right?
2: Yeah. I had tried other sports. Baseball just wasn't for me. I tried gymnastics, but I grew too tall for that. So swimming was like the perfect sport for me.
0: Awesome. And do you have a favorite swimming stroke or a favorite event that you like?
2: Um, it's changed over the years, um, but right now breaststroke uh, is my favorite stroke, and I like that one because there's a lot of technique involved, there's a lot of timing that goes into um, making the stroke fast, and there's been a lot of changes throughout the years of swimming breaststroke, and so it's just kind of fun to keep up with the innovations and changes in technique. I started out being more of a freestyler, became more of a breaststroker in my master's career.
1: So, can you, because I don't know, and I'm sure other people don't know what you, what a master's career is, what that entails?
2: So it's just swimming uh, for people who are um, past the age group swimming or past college swimming or not really training for Olympics or the national teams. Um, so it's just for people to keep in the sport at any age um, and you can compete or not, but it's just uh, whether or not you have a focus on fitness or a focus on competition or just being social. And okay. so I think US, United States Masters of Swimming has um, 50,000 at least uh, members.
1: Oh, wow. That's, and how, um, how many meets do, do you have
2: each year? Um, There are probably at least 12 to 15 in our local Potomac Valley uh, Swimming Association, but I would say in the country there's at least 200 if not 300 meets. It's just tons of opportunities.
1: I would have guessed maybe that the butterfly was your
2: favorite stroke because it seems like you're awfully good at it based on all your records. Well, that's probably my second best. Um, the but butterfly is definitely harder, harder to train for me um, and so um, breaststroke is better. I like it. <laughs>
0: All right, so Michael Phelps famously stated in 2008 that he ate 12,000 calories a day while training for the Beijing, Beijing Olympics. Uh, do you usually gorge on calories before a meet or? Um, I definitely don't eat that much.
2: <laughs> um, but when I was training as much as he was training, like doubles um, in college, you definitely eat a lot. I remember ordering pizza in the middle of the night just because <laughs> I was just hungry. Um, but now that I only train like four days a week, for an hour, hour and 15 minutes. Definitely don't need to eat as much. Um, but before meat, meet, um, basically my routine now is just to do the same thing that I'm used to doing. You know, eat the same meals. The only thing I'll do to prepare for a meet is just make sure I'm resting my body and uh, you know, not really exerting yourself too much be- the day before this one meet. But I don't really need to change my diet too much before the meet. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm
0: dating a swimmer and uh, he's always hungry.
2: yeah so do you have
1: any advice or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with some any up-and-coming athletes about what might might make them successful as a swimmer or as an
2: athlete in general um definitely um find what you're passionate about because if you enjoy doing it you're going to want to do it you know more and keep with it and then once you find that um just keep at it Um, I didn't have very much trouble at all dedicating myself to swimming just because I enjoyed being in the water. I enjoyed racing my teammates in practice. I enjoyed um, picking up different skills that would make me a better swimmer. So, um, you know, if you stay, get dedicated to something that you love to do, I think success would follow. I think that's good advice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Let me ask you this as almost
1: a flip side of that. Is there anything that you would say that you gained or learned from being a competitive athlete that has served you well in other parts of your life?
2: Well, I'm not afraid of hard work. Um, So, you know, I think that translates into other areas. You know, I've learned to be on time, you know, to swim practices. So I'm on time to other parts of my life. Learning that hard work pays off. And so just doing that in other parts of your life, you know, makes you successful.
0: I guess we'll go into the more personal questions. Were you an out swimmer in college or when you started your career?
2: So um, I came out in college, um, start, started out with uh, just a few of my teammates. And as I became more and more comfortable, I told a little bit more. But I wouldn't say I was totally out to the whole team. It was just like a need to know basis for me, because this was back in the late, night, uh, late 80s. So um, being out wasn't quite as easy as it is now. Um, But definitely, um, I think being in Washington, D.C. helped a lot. And all of the teammates that knew were very supportive. So um, it was really not an issue for me. I just wasn't totally comfortable with coming out to the whole team. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Have you seen um, developments or shifts in... um, inclusivity in the sport over the course of the last 20 years or so?
2: For sure. I think that uh, people are comfortable coming out earlier and earlier, and I'm not really aware of uh, swimmers in particular having much issues with being out on their teams. Um, I think it's uh, you know, a great progression that we've had is being um, able to be out and being in sports.
0: Do you have any athletes or any role models you look up to?
2: Well, I definitely have my fandom athletes. (laughs) Um, I've always been a fan of uh, Natalie Coughlin. And um, it's just her personality and her fierceness and um, she's pretty versatile. I kind of tend to go to the the swimmers that like to do a lot of different events. Um, So she's one of my uh, favorites.
0: All right. So you have an astonishing record of 37 gold medals, 12 silver medals and two bronze medals for competing in seven gay games. Um, What is it like competing against the top LGBT plus athletes around the world?
2: It's great. Um, I love going to the gay games. Um, I look forward to them every four years. I'm definitely I'm looking forward to Hong Kong if we're going to be able to have it. Uh, Changed a little bit in the sense that I think that The gay swimming or gay sports in general has expanded so much that we don't have the opportunity with everybody to come together. There's so many tournaments that people can go to. I've noticed that in the earlier gay games, more of the, you get a more of a world picture. Um, Now it seems to be a little bit more regional. So like there'll probably be um, a lot of Americans but maybe not as many Europeans at the next gay games. There was definitely a lot of Europeans, but not um, as many, say, um, Asians or Australians at the Paris Gay Games. So I wish that um, there was one that everyone just decided to go to, but I know that's difficult.
1: Do you remember the first time that you won a medal? Can you tell us, is it still just as special every time?
2: Um, It's probably lost some of its luster. Yeah, um, I definitely remember, you know, the first gay games, it was just like, oh my gosh, this is like so great. It was in New York and um, it felt like a huge meet. I'd never been to a gay meet before. Um, It was just totally exciting. So um, it's quite, it's not quite as, you know, original now as it was then for me, but I still definitely enjoy it.
1: Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, do you feel any sort of special pressure or maybe pride when you are competing on behalf of, you know, the the country or the region, um, as opposed to maybe just yourself and your team?
2: I do, definitely. Although in the swimming, it still feels like it's team, even though it's the gay games. Um, but yeah, it's definitely special you know, when you're in a different country and you're competing as, you know, someone from the U.S.
0: And I guess for you, how important do you think it is for LGBTQ plus athletes to be competing in, you know, both straight meets, I guess, and also in, you know, inclusive meets? I think it's it's definitely
2: important. I uh, make it a point of going to as many of the local straight meets as possible. Just for several reasons. One is to uh, I wanna make sure I'm supporting their um, teams and their events, because this is oftentimes a fundraiser for them. And um, oftentimes DCAC is one of the more um, vocal, boisterous teams. We like to cheer and I think it's good exposure for other people. And uh, the other straight teams are very um, accepting of us. We don't have any issue. And they often uh, come to our meets and they say this is our meets are some of the more fun that uh, the uh, Potomac Valley has just because we, we like to give awards and make it kind of a fun event.
1: Um, would you say that there is a value st- in having LGBTQ specific um,
2: meets and organizations
1: for to participate in. I
2: definitely think so. Um, we still get, um, you know, people looking for gay friendly, um, uh, swim teams, you know, uh, and then we'll often have people ask if straight people are allowed to be (laughs) on the We say, of course, you know, there's (laughs) no, um, we don't have any biases. Um, so, but I do think that it helps some of the younger people, get to know some of the community if they're just recently moving to the area that's one way that people get to know some of the local gay and lesbian people.
1: So you've served on the board of DCAC for 15 years which I find astounding because that is um quite a commitment. What keeps you motivated to staying um so connected to the local sports community? I just
2: enjoy it um I um like I was I didn't mention this earlier but I also coached swimming while I was in college and then a couple of years in med school and so I really enjoy putting together um our team's relays and it was a puzzle that I used to try to figure out when I was coaching as far as can we beat this team what can we do where do we put people and you know you, you get to do that with putting together the teams relays and as the competition chair which is in the board position that I tend to hold, uh, that's one of the roles, um, and so I just enjoy um, seeing if we can set up a relay that will beat our competition. I'm glad to hear that DCAC has,
1: um, you know, such dedicated leadership. So that's that bodes really well, obviously, for the strength of your organization.
2: No thanks.
0: All right, do you have a lucky speedo or any sort of ritual that you, you use to uh, keep yourself focused during a meet?
2: So, no lucky speedo um, <laughs> though it depends on the meat as to which kind of speedo I will use so if it's just one of the local meats, it'll be one of the speedos that I've had for like four or five years that are kind of um a little bit stretched out, and that's just because I really don't need to perform all that great at a local meat but if it's a meat that I'm really focused on, then I'll have one of my brand new or I'll have like a new or Maybe one year old suit that I'll use for uh, the competitions that I'm really gunning for. So that's kind of how I decide which suit to wear. (laughs) All right, that's fair. I don't know. (laughs) Swimming is such a
1: weird sport. you know, I would think a lot of athletes would want to wear, like, their most comfortable, like, the one that they've had success in in the past, but I guess with swimming, it's all about, like, you basically would paint your Speedo on if you could, right? Right, yep,
2: it's as tight as you can get it.
1: This has been really fun, and I, before, but before we let you go, is there any, like, highlight of your swimming career that you, that we haven't talked
2: about that you'd like to mention? Some um, the highlights have actually been more of the team, um, DCAC, IGLA's, you know, we have been the most winning, the winning, winningest team in the IGLA uh, league and um, helping have DCAC win as many as we have has really been the highlight of my swimming.
1: All right. Well, thanks again. I hope that we get to do this again sometime. Well,
0: thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is proudly produced by and a product of Team DC. For more information about Team DC, please visit www.teamdc.org.
1: We want to give credit to Ralph Elston, a Team DC board member, for the design of our logo. Also, our intro and outro music is provided by DC's Different Drummers Marching Band and was composed by Travis Gattinger. You can always find Under the Bleachers at underthebleachers.podbeam.com, and our podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast, and share us with a friend so that we can all keep meeting Under the
2: Bleachers.
0: Under the Bleachers is hosted by Team DC Vice President Laura Freyer and Team DC Board Member for Fundraising, Gabriel Hernandez. All views and opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts and the participants on under the bleachers and do not express the views of Team DC.